You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things marketing, advertising, and communications. I'm your host, Ted Lau. Today, we have Stephen Armstrong with us. He's a native of Toronto and graduated from the Ivy Business School at Western University and began his marketing career in grocery retail and consumer packaged goods before moving to a more northerly climb in the U.S. with Pillsbury in Minneapolis. After a family sabbatical in Hong Kong and Singapore, Stephen led national marketing programs at Pizza Hut as part of PepsiCo restaurants and later Yum! Brands. A startup in Huntington Beach, California enabled Stephen, his wife, and two daughters to realize a lifelong goal to live in California, where he led marketing and was a founding executive for a startup and mid-market healthcare IT companies, including launching a subsidiary for a Quebec tech company in Mexico. A marketing consultant with his own practice, the 360 Marketer, Stephen is also the co-founder and president of one of the largest Canada-slash-U.S. business associations, Maple Business Council, which promotes bilateral economic ties with chapters in Southern California, British Columbia, and New York. Stephen is also a co-founder and president of Maple Business Advisors, an advisory services firm helping businesses expand between his home and his home and native land. Stephen and his wife live in Orange County. Stephen, welcome. Thanks, Dad. Great to be here. So tell us what's going on. We've been working together with the Maple Business Council, Ballistic Arts. My company has been a member and really excited to have you on our podcast. Let's start with a little bit of an origin story. Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in uh, Toronto, Ontario, and my father had a career in sales management. And so I was never too far from marketing in my early days. And uh, in high school, I loved English, and it was actually my best subject. I uh, always enjoyed reading and writing. And I think part of what appealed to me about marketing initially is this blend of the creativity with the science and the analytics. And so I had the opportunity to go to business school at Western. And uh, when I left Ivy, I was really on the track for brand management, but I wanted to do it a little bit differently. And I thought what would be really interesting would be to understand the, the retail channel, the trade channel first, uh, so that I could be a smarter marketer when I was on the brand desk. So I had the opportunity to join Loblaws Supermarkets in Toronto. And it was a really incredible experience as somebody pretty young, uh, dealing with brands like P&G and Lever and other major brands in terms of the products they wanted to have on our shelves and the listing decisions and merchandising strategies. It was kind of a heady experience being in the driver's seat, controlling a lot of buying decisions. And after about 18 months of that, I decided now is the time to uh, you know, follow the original path and go into brand management. And so I had the opportunity to join Pillsbury Canada in Toronto, where I worked for about five years in brand management on brands like Green Giant Vegetables and Totino's Pizza Snacks. And during that time, I had the opportunity to move to Minneapolis at the world headquarters. And it was always a goal of mine uh, and my wife to move to the U.S. at some point. And so of all places, we actually went to whether that was colder and windier than Toronto in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But it was... Uh, colder and windier. Absolutely. 
uh, but a great town and spent another almost five years there um, in a variety of brand positions around uh, working with the Pillsbury Doughboy and all sorts of great critters and, and creatures with Leo Burnett advertising. And it was uh, a fabulous experience. We then uh, decided to um, take a sabbatical and uh, pursue a lifelong goal of moving over to Asia for a period of time. And uh, we had just had our first daughter, and this was an opportunity for her to meet her great-grandparents in the new territories of Hong Kong. So we went over there and uh, actually studied Cantonese language, and we traveled throughout China and Hong Kong and Singapore and had the benefit of living with family and pursued uh, you know, some life goals, including that opportunity to unite four generations together uh, in our family, which would never have happened had we not made that trip over to Asia. Uh, so at that point, uh, we decided it was time to come back and you know, pursue the career further. But I was looking for something a little bit more entrepreneurial and joined PepsiCo restaurants to uh, do national marketing for the Pizza Hut brand. We started initially in Wichita, Kansas, so I'm one of the few people who can say I've moved from Singapore to Wichita, uh, but we made that move, and uh, shortly thereafter, the headquarters moved to Dallas, Texas, and so we were back to a big city again, which was great, and I spent about five years doing national marketing with Pizza Hut, including some really incredible opportunities to rejuvenate the brand because we were in a very competitive fight with Papa John's at the time, and it was a... uh, it was a time when we kind of re, uh, retrenched and invested in higher quality product and then wanted to get the story out to our, our franchisees and to our employees on the front line and, of course, to customers. And so we did some never-been-done-before marketing where we actually sent every head office employee to visit every single one of our restaurants over about a two-month period to evangelize about why the pizza has never been better as, as it is now. And it really galvanized a whole organization of tens of thousands of people behind a new and improved product. A little startup then called on me one day from Huntington Beach here in Orange County with an idea that was pretty exciting. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we were always looking to come to the U.S., but we had California really as our dream location, my wife and I. And this startup had a tablet about 12 years before we knew what the iPad was all about. And it's an interactive medium that was entertaining kids with games in restaurants with uh, advertising embedded in the games for upselling opportunities, a digital restaurant menu, coupon capabilities, um, even had a secret decoder ring. It had some really cool features built into it. And it was uh, an exciting opportunity to move into something even more entrepreneurial and lead the marketing of uh, this product called FunPack. And so uh, I was working with restaurants for a couple of years, uh, introducing it into uh, their operations and enhancing their experience. So uh, that got us to California. And uh, from there, uh, I spent a number of years uh, working in technology as head of marketing for brands in the healthcare IT space primarily, uh, which included actually doing work in Mexico as well as across the United States before actually uh, then coming into contact with some Canadian expats who were looking to uh, really network here in Orange County. And that has taken me on a completely different route in my life and my career uh, that we can probably talk about more in this conversation with the Maple Business Council. Well, yeah, let's talk about the origins of the Maple Business Council. Because it wasn't a business council before. 
So I want to hear about it. Yeah. So the roots of Maple are in Canadians in Orange County, which is still an active and growing organization for Canadian families here in OC to come together to celebrate Canada Day, Canadian Thanksgiving, as we call it here. We have to differentiate between Canada and U.S. Thanksgiving. And, uh, of course, go to hockey games and to the beach and whatnot. And it's interesting when myself, Robert Kelly, my co-founder of Maple, and other Canadian expats that were forming Canadians in OC, we had in our original mission to do something around business networking too. But we got busy with the hockey and with the celebrations and, and uh, the Canadian holidays. And then in about 2014, the Canadian Consulate General Office in Los Angeles reached out to, uh, to Robert and said, we really like what you guys are doing. You're creating a community, you're nurturing it, you're growing it, you're celebrating the ties between Canada and California. Have you ever thought about doing something around business networking, around trade, around investment? And uh, you know, would you have an interest in doing that work? And at that time, we were both consulting with our own practices and had the, the time and uh, we always had the passion and the commitment to do this kind of work. But we felt we really needed it to do it independent of the social network. So we created a brand new nonprofit organization called Maple Business Council. And uh, Maple, of course, was chosen not only because it's emblematic of Canada in terms of the name, but also it's an acronym for market, access, promote, lead, and enable, which we hope to do for our members by connecting them with other executives who are doing business across the border. And began this journey of creating a very active organization, cross-sector, cross-growth stage, promoting bilateral economic ties between Canada and initially Southern California. But as you know, it's grown now to include a chapter in New York, a busy chapter in British Columbia. And we now have members in over 22 markets across Canada and the United States working in almost uh, 24 different business sectors. So it's become this wonderful community of people like yourself who are ready to share their knowledge with others and hopefully forge really important connections to grow their businesses, North and South. So what's been the most fun starting this guy? Because it's been, what'd you say, five years, six years now? Yeah, we're in our sixth, starting our seventh year, actually. And so what's been the most fun as you've been growing this? Well, you know, as a marketer, it's always great creating a brand and seeing it grow. They're like your children. And so uh, seeing Maple be recognized on both sides of the border, you know, it's a source of a lot of pride. And, uh, you know, we put a lot of heart and, and time and effort to hopefully deliver a meaningful experience for everyone involved. And that's not just our members, but it's our partners and um, you know, the people that follow what we do. Um, but I got to say on a day-to-day basis, Ted, it's the people you meet, you know, it's the diversity of paths that people have taken in their lives, the interesting work that they're doing, the expertise that they've developed and having this window on all these different kinds of uh, sectors and business initiatives and how they're growing over time. And so being able to have a window on this is a privilege in itself. And then because part of our business model is to share these stories through our communication platforms, be that video articles or presentations or one-on-one networking, we have this really unique opportunity to amplify these people's voices. 
And that's taken a really interesting turn for us in the past 18 months or so when we looked kind of inwards and said, are we doing enough around diversity, equity, and inclusion? Now that we are an organization of some critical mass, with this platform of communication, with this access to leading businesses in so many different sectors, what can we do to play our part? And in addition to looking at how our own organization is structured. And that's led to doing some initiatives like you've seen this year, where we're looking to tap into the knowledge base within our membership community to find out how our organizations addressing DEI and what are, have been some of their insights and then sharing that with a network that follows Maple overall. And so that's um, a particularly rewarding process and application of this kind of basic dynamic of being a membership. So how has COVID affected the organization? I mean, we met right at the beginning, I think, of COVID as Ballistic Arts, my agency was looking to do some cross-border business. And it actually worked for me because me, me and you, we haven't ever met physically, but we've talked a lot virtually on a lot of the networking events virtually. So tell us about the change. Yeah, great question. You know, it's been a blessing in a way in terms of the ability for our members to connect with one another because we had relied uh, exclusively on in-person events to bring people together for networking and content sharing. And like everyone, we pivoted to webinars and different types of web-based uh, meeting formats. And that suddenly opened up the opportunity for you to attend an event that our New York chapter might be hosting or someone here in Southern California engaging with our BC chapter meetings. And so it united us in a way because we were now getting rid of the geographic barriers between us, which is so important as a cross-border organization, you know, given our mission. And it really has facilitated, our web programming has more connectivity across our community. And I think that's something that we were very cognizant of as we you know, slowly emerge from the pandemic that we don't want to lose. That you know, There's a tremendous value to in-person events, the power of shaking someone's hand or fist bump or whatever it's going to be. But it's also this opportunity to recognize everyone under the tent and wherever they are and having the opportunity to hear their stories and to talk with one another. So we look for ways to not just do vanilla flavored webinars. And so we've done programs where there are more intimate member mixers, having a dialogue with a, a senior person. Recently, we had the Consul General of Canada in Seattle, Brandon Lee, chat with the, the BC chapter in a format which, in which everyone could have a voice um, because of its size, to utilizing an interactive platform that promotes more meaningful networking, utilizing virtual tables before we go into our presentation segments. And we've had really good feedback that that's been a nice way to kind of get over the typical maybe Zoom issue of being kind of hidden behind a screen and uh, just observing you know, our presentation. So those have been valuable uh, lessons for us to explore what technology can offer during this time. And definitely these are things we're going to continue on in the future. And with the new administration or new-ish administration in the U.S., there's still the America First policy. How do you 
communicate to government and businesses across the border that, you know what, hey, the border's still open, there's still business to be had, but that there's still this policy that we got to kind of navigate? Great question. Well, first of all, we're not an advocacy organization. Um, we stand for free trade and open borders, but we recognize you know, the work that our respected governments do and lead in that respect and look to support you know, policies that enable us to do more business across the border and uh, recognize the inherent strengths of this unique Canada-U.S. relationship. Our role, Ted, really is to help shine a spotlight on the depth and breadth of our economic ties. Uh, we participated in a number of USMCA or CUSMA, as it's called in Canada, um, panel discussions about the importance of our trading relationship, how Canada and the U.S. don't just sell things to one another, but we make things together. And that means goods and services cross the border several times before um, a finished product is made. And uh, so part of it is having an active voice in the importance of this relationship and the importance of framing our economies as part of a North American strategy and friendship, partnership, that's going to make Canadian businesses and American businesses more competitive globally as we look at challenges that are coming from other parts of the world. So it's, it's, Defining the parameters of this relationship, reminding people the importance of it, bringing that data forward to people. And frankly, it's, it's just doing our work day in and day out where we're celebrating, you know, a creative agency in Vancouver and what someone like you is doing, uh, what someone in New York or Los Angeles may be doing and helping, you know, everyone find those connections to answer the questions they have about growing your business further, whether it's within their existing markets or coming across the border north and south. And I think there's a tremendous value for non-governmental organizations at a sub-national level, such as Maple, to just to kind of continue this drumbeat of the importance of this relationship and engaging people on a regular basis. And that brings its own momentum. I think the really strong relationship that our federal administrations have now, again, there's a real appetite at that level to find solutions that are going to be good for Canada as well as good for the U.S. Now, me being a small business owner, and I think a lot of our listeners work for small business, to work across the border, it's probably a lot more challenging than some of the large, you know, Pizza Hut or PepsiCo that you worked for, right? What advice do you have for them? I'd say don't discount the opportunity. You have a huge market south of the border, no surprise, 10 times the size of Canada's. But avail yourself of the resources that are there to help you think about where you might go in that market. And our governments provide a lot of great tools for planning how you might launch an export strategy or how you might find customers across the border and engage with organizations like Maple, where we have you know, an existing network and we have turnkey mechanisms for bringing people together and access to partners and resources. You know, Like anything, you've got to do your homework. And it's about looking at opportunities in, in the market and finding that information that will help guide your decision-making. And uh, from there, it's meeting the people that will help you, you know, further refine your thinking and help you cross 
the border with uh, an initiative. But there's a, a lot of resources there. And, and the USMCA trade agreement, part of its contemporization from the original NAFTA is to focus more on the opportunities for small and mid-sized businesses to do more across the border. And so there are a lot of great resources available from the U.S. government here and the Canadian government as well to, uh, to help facilitate that. Um, but you don't need to go it alone. There's a community built around us. And, uh, you know, we play our small part in that regard. And what kind of unique obstacles do you see for people that, you know, successfully do business across the border? Because there is a cultural difference, slight, mm-hmm. but I think how we communicate sometimes, you know, the whole Canadian being too polite type thing. Do you have any suggestions on that? You know, I think you, you're right. Canadians are a little bit more conservative, a little bit quieter. And you've got to be comfortable having broad shoulders and being passionate about what you do and excited and proud of the work. And not to say that you're not in Canada, but you need to amplify that, I think, sometimes as a Canadian in the U.S. to get heard. And the incoming assumption often is, or reality, is that We don't spend a lot of time here in the U.S. thinking about Canada, unfortunately, because this is such a big market unto itself. So you really have to kind of bust open the door a little bit and say, you know, I've built a better mousetrap or I've got a really, you know, great solution here, service here, and you need to hear about it. And I'm going to help you be more successful, you know, if we work together. And so that takes stepping out maybe a little bit more assertively but I don't want to, you know, stereotype Canadians at all because, you know, we are very successful globally. But I think there's an amplitude or a level of, of energy that I think we can bring to opportunities in the United States to ensure that we do get heard. And I've, I've seen that play out in feedback from investors here on Canadian pitches that, um, you know, there needs to be more assertiveness and aggressiveness sometimes in how to tell your story. And I think we can do that as Canadians. I'm speaking as a Canadian now who's lived in the U.S. for, for decades, but without losing what, you know, what we take pride in as Canadians too in our DNA. But we can step out a little bit more, I think. So just a biz, bit more pizzazz, would you say? It's part of it, yeah. Boldness, order of magnitude, you know, in terms of what the opportunity is. I mean, rooted in the truths of your business and your ideas and what makes you successful. We, can, uh, we don't need to be shy about sharing our successes and why they're relevant here in this market too. So then with regards to bilateral business, is there suggestions that you have for Americans that are coming to Canada? You know, I think Canada needs to be I think for an American business, Canada is an incredibly exciting market. While it's a different order of magnitude, it is a very convenient market to penetrate. I mean, we talk about the geographic proximity between Canada and the United States, you know, common language um, as a business market, rule of law, and, and uh, very much uh, a uh, standards-based uh, market where you can feel comfortable Uh, launching your business or growing your business into. So I think it's a very attractive market, especially for U.S. businesses looking to do their 
first international market for exporting, for example. They don't need to think about going all the way around the world to try something out. There's a large market in Canada that is very familiar with American brands. You know, we consume a lot of the same media and uh, we have a lot of the same interests. And so it's a, it's a convenient market. It's a meaningful size market. But I think U.S. brands need to recognize, as you pointed out earlier, that there are cultural differences and we need to pay attention to that. And so there needs to be the time invested in research, researching the market and planning for their, their market strategy and really understanding how their message is going to play to a Canadian audience. And that may be a little different in how it's presented than in the United States. So recognize differences, uh, recognize the advantages of, of a, uh, a proximity of a market that's in close proximity and pursue it further, get to, get to know the market. And so uh, I think that offers a lot of potential for businesses here. So what's next for Maple? It's, you guys have survived and thrived over COVID. You guys are growing. What's next? You know, it's really continuing this path of you know, bringing together people to learn from one another, to share their content, to pursue opportunities, and hopefully partnerships together. We would love to see additional chapters form in the United States and in Canada that then affords the opportunity for people to connect locally as well as across the border. For us, it's going to be to retain some of the new things that we've introduced uh, during the pandemic as we talked about some of the virtual programming uh, as we come back to the in-person events as well and to um, continue to celebrate all the strengths of the Canada-U.S. economic relationship and the business ties that we enjoy together. So it's going to be, uh, you know, leveraging the foundation that's been set now in our first six years and continuing to grow that further. And I think there's a bit of a domino effect here as we continue to build critical mass that, you know, the momentum continues to feed off of itself as people um, find out about our community and, you know, attend one of our events and then decide that they would like to join or, or tell a partner or client that uh, we're doing something interesting for them to explore too. So we also have an audience here that are communications professionals. And so given you are a membership-based association, tell us what are the successful tips and tricks when you're communicating across a continent? I think you want to always come back to what unites us. What is that umbrella that we all kind of sit under? And so for us, you know, we're, we're talking about the shared interests in uh, growing our businesses in our local markets and across the border, whether that's coming to the United States or to Canada. And that becomes the context then for whatever specific information you're sharing. It's also about recognizing that this is a community and not just a network. Uh, for me, a network feels a little transactional and a community is talking about having a kind of a shared affinity for a goal being united around a mission. And so, you know, sharing the work of our members and the opportunities to connect with one another across the continent always comes back to the fact that we're all touching this community, either as a member or a partner or someone who's um, just learning about us and finding out um, more about what we do. So I think tying that community ribbon around the communication is important and making sure that there is a um, consistency in communication too. 
you don't want to go dark for too long in terms of your communications. You want to be reminding people that you're part of this community and sharing new insights, hopefully, and, and news so that um, you as a member or a participant in some way can feel the pulse of the community. And you get that sense that things are happening. And even if you can't take advantage of that next event or participate in the next program, that's all still happening around you. And that's bringing value to you the next time you do partake. So that cadence of communication is really important. And finding ways to connect with people across multiple channels is important too. So we utilize uh, two newsletters a month. We have active content almost on a daily basis across a number of social media channels. So whatever your appetite is in terms of consuming information and news, you know, we're trying to contribute across these channels to keep you informed and feeling part of uh, this community. You talked earlier about that we are a North American community and there's commonality in that. You've done business across the globe. So where do you see our commonality being the strength that's different than compared to doing business across the world? I think it's order of magnitude, Ted. It's just that this is such a big economy that when we can leverage the inherent strengths of the, um, the talent in Canada, United States, and the, the depth of expertise in areas to build products and develop innovative solutions, we're tapping into a lot of critical mass here uh, in terms of talent, in terms of economic throughput, and the opportunity then to sell our ideas around the world. So I think that's a, a real key strength. And we have the mechanisms for working across borders for so many years now, supported by NAFTA originally, that enables us to uh, fulfill you know, these, uh, these visions by manufacturing products in Mexico, Canada, United States, and then turning those out to the world. So I think that's the real strength is the, the order of magnitude, the facility to do this work across borders. And underlining it all is the friendship and partnership that our nations enjoy. That has been very solid for so long. That enables us to sustain this and continue to do more of it in the future. Okay, well, thank you very much, Stephen. I'm going to jump into our rapid fire round. Okay. So what is your favorite marketing book? I have to go back to um, one of the classics called Positioning by Reese and Trout um, that really talked about how do you think about positioning. And that was something that I was exposed to early on in my career and um, still think it's one of the best books written. Favorite American fast food? I got to say in and out what is in and out in and out is this wonderful hamburger chain that grew out of Southern California. And now it's in multiple States and it has this cult following for this kind of 1950s style hamburgers, fries, shakes, and a drink, very simple menu actually has a secret menu. People over the years have found ways to order things in a custom way that now it's not so secret. So you have fun ordering, you know, whether you want it animal style or a protein style, what have you, get your burger in different ways. And it all adds to the fun of being, you know, part of what really is kind of a community. And so next time you're in California, I'll have to take that. Sorry, what was it? Animal style and what style? Protein style? Yeah, protein style is without a bun. So you just have a, a lettuce wrapper for your burger. And then that's uh, definitely not 1950s. 
Are you a ebook reader, audiobook person, or are you like the physical book? I like the physical book still a lot. There's something about the texture of holding onto a book, and uh, I spend so much time on the computer. That's nice just to refocus on something that's a little bit more analog. Something you took for granted as a Canadian. You know, I think there was a period of time where I didn't appreciate being Canadian as much as I focused on taking my career outside the border. And I wrote a, a blog once called The Arc of the Border, where I talk a little bit about the fact that you kind of come back to your, your uh, home and native land, your, your uh, nationality, living outside the country, and you become very nostalgic for it. And just appreciating the values of Canada and being a Canadian is, is a real privilege. And sometimes you can lose sight of that in the heat of a career that takes you to different places around the world. Canadian bacon or bacon? Bacon. Damn right. <laughs> I am not a Canadian bacon guy. I'm sorry, everybody. Actually, in fact, I'm not even eating meat these days, but definitely <laughs> did not like Canadian bacon back then. Favorite carnival food? Mm, probably uh, something called uh, funnel cake. Sweet and uh, indulgent and too many calories. <laughs> Best place for you to zen? At the beach. One of the luxuries of living here, the ability to just go down to the beach and just relax. And it's, it's totally awesome. One thing most people don't know about Stephen. I, um, well, as I mentioned, I studied Cantonese for a period of time. And I have uh, lost ability beyond being able to order dim sum <laughs> in a restaurant. But uh, immersed myself in that for a period of time when we were living overseas. And it was it was really fun. Favorite place to live overseas? Well, not including the U.S. I would say um, it's a toss-up between Hong Kong and Singapore. I mean, we really enjoyed both of them. Hong Kong for us was like New York on steroids. And I remember the first time we flew over, it was a night flight. And after hours and hours of darkness, we come into this cacophony of neon light. And it was at the old airport, which is right down in the heart of the city. And I felt like I was going on to a set of Blade Runner. And it was such an immersive experience in the course. And then you suddenly land into this, this city with so much life and vitality and noise and excitement. It was great. And similarly, when we had a chance to live for a while in Singapore, it was like exporting California a little bit to Asia. It was very, very calm and, and beautiful and, and well-maintained it felt like this kind of this California outpost a little bit to um, in Asia. So for both different reasons, we're pretty pretty uh, special to us. Food that you can't live without: chocolate, dark or milk. Dark. Yeah. Okay. Well, any advice that you want to give to marketers that are trying to market across border? I would say uh, do your homework. Um, don't be hesitant just because you've never done it before. Kill that onion back. Explore the, the opportunities. Ask lots of questions. Reach out to people that have been there and done that. Take advantage of the resources that are in Canada and the, and the U.S. And just uh, explore that opportunity and how you fit there because it's a wonderful experience. And it's a very welcoming opportunity here. And uh, there's nothing that I'd like more to see and more Canadians be successful here in the U.S. 
That's fantastic. Well, Stephen, how do we get a hold of you? You know, you can reach me at stephen at maplecouncil.org and check us out on the maplecouncil.org website as well, where we have a lot of great content. And yeah, be happy to chat with folks. Well, thank you, Stephen, very much for spending the time to talk to our listeners. And everybody have a great day for another great episode of Marketing News Canada. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Ted. Bye. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.